0: everyone before we start i wanted to let you know if you would like to watch our whole
1: service head to our website that's dc2.me and from the media drop down click sermons you can watch our whole service there and now
0: here's this week's sermon have you ever been invited to do something that you're like that just feels a little risky i don't know when the last time maybe you had this was as i was preparing for this week i was Reminded of a story years ago, uh, I was working with a group of Young Life kids. These guys were all juniors and seniors in high school. And uh, we were going to snow camp, typical Young Life snow camp, but the camp, the camp filled out, like there were, there were too many kids going. So I said, you know what, these senior guys, I mean, they're old enough, they've been before, let me peel them out, we're gonna go do our own thing. So I called a friend who has a cabin up in Breckenridge, and I said, hey, can we come be at your cabin for a long weekend, and he said, absolutely. And we got to plan this really special time together. Well, one of the days that we planned, that I've now replicated a handful of times with some other guys that I love, uh, started out like this. We woke up Saturday early and did a hike to an alpine lake. And this is in late November, right around this time of year. So it's crispy outside, (laughs) it's so cold. And I don't know if you can kind of get in the mindset of being a 17-year-old teenage boy, being woken up at 5 a.m. to go hike in negative 30-degree weather but it was fun, it was really, really fun. And we're hiking up in the mountains and we get to this this summit and we're looking out over these two lakes that we've just walked past. There's mountain goats that are hanging out just right off to the side that we've walked past, it was, it was amazing. And just one of those moments with some guys that we'd known each other for a while where you just kinda ended up like smiling at each other looking like idiots, like this is really cool what we're doing right now. We went from there, the Blue River in Breckenridge is one of the few places where you can catch salmon in the state of Colorado, and not all of these guys had fished very much, uh, not all of them had fly fish. so we spent then that morning fly fishing for salmon in the Blue River, it was awesome. As the day progressed, we went back home and we had some time, we'd been working on our cooking skills, so we cooked a meal together and we sat down and ate around a table. We you to get into the headspace of a 17-year-old teenage boy, sitting down for a meal with a fork and a plate and steam coming off food that you've cooked with people that you love sitting around you. It's uncommon for so many kids. And, and as the day progressed, we had some time, we talked about Jesus, and, and we read some, some scripture together, and, and then, then came the part that I got so excited for because uh, I had them all pack a really, like pack your nicest set of clothes that you have and everything of this night was going to be a surprise, but uh, they, got, they got dressed, not knowing where we we're going. We went to a place in downtown Breckenridge. It's now out of business, but it was called Relish. It was this really nice upscale foodie foodie, like it was, it was awesome. And we sit down and I'd called ahead and said, here's what we're gonna order. And so they bring out our appetizer and they sit it down. And my friend Noah Thacker, Noah looks at it and he's like, what the heck is that? (laughs) And I said, I'm not going to tell you, just eat it. And it's in these little tiny cups and there's these little tiny forks. And every guy is like, I've never seen this before. I don't know what's going on. Some of you know exactly what this is and you're right. And so each guy grabs their fork and they, they like dip it in this cup. It's like piping hot. Every kid puts it in their mouth except for Noah, and every kid goes, Oh my goodness. That's like one of the best things I've ever had. And Noah has watched every other guy put this thing on, on his fork, and just in the like six inches from, from table to mouth, he's like, I'm not eating that. And every guy is like, Noah. You got to eat this. Like, it, this is the best food. He's like, I, I don't know what this is. It looks weird. I'm not eating it. And they're like, the, just try. It's the taste. And I, like, as a, as a leader, as a mentor to these guys, I just sit back and start grinning because my work here is done. Noah's goose is cooked. I mean, there's no way he's getting out of this meal. He's now got six other guys, and you can't. And it's not this, like, peer pressure force. It's this, like, no. No, you have, like, you have to. You can't not have. I mean, short of you having a food allergy to this unknown thing, you have to do this, man. This is amazing. And long story short, he ends up eating escargot for the first time in his life. And it was amazing. He loved it in the end after he got over feeling like he was eating boogers. And then and then the night progressed. We went from there, I, as, we, as we got in the car, I said, I know we're dressed up as nice as we can be, but you're gonna need to bring your swimming suit. We went from there, I have a friend who belongs to some club thing. They've got this massive hot tub and massive pool, and it's a Saturday night in Dillon, and nobody's at this thing. So we have essentially a rec center to ourselves, and we play like little boys. It's so much fun. And then what they don't know, is after we've kind of played ourselves out a little bit and our energy's coming down, I go, okay, you guys, our car is across the parking lot. Our clothes are right across the rec center. Leave your clothes there in your swimming suit, run across the parking lot and get in the car. And all of them are like, wait, why? What's, what's gonna happen? I'm like, do you trust me? And they're like, yes. <laughs> and So we all run, we get in the car, we're sopping wet. We drive down the boat ramp to Lake Dillon And I put the lights on the water, and I say, all right you guys, here's the deal. This will be one of the funnest memories if you're willing to follow me. We're gonna go do a polar bear plunge right now. And I I just whip open my door and I take off running at full speed. And just full, like as only a six foot five, 260 pound man can do, just full swan dive right into the water not realizing for myself there's a very thin layer of ice that's there that is kind of like, have you ever got a, a paper cut from a thin piece of plastic? It like just, just shreds me. But I don't care. I, I can't feel anything anyway. <laughs> Who cares? And, all the, and as, as I come up out of the water, all I hear to my great delight and a smile spreads across my shivering face is splash, 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 splash there's one splash that didn't happen. And as we turn around, every guy is now like, oh, oh, we're running out of the water. Jack has not run into the water. And every guy's like, Jack, you've got to. And and now it is a little bit more peer pressure, but it's like, this is so crazy and fun. Jack, you've got to. And we end up getting Jack in the water quickly. We all get back in the car and I go, okay, now what do you guys want to do? And my friend Kyle sitting in the back seat goes, let's do that again, and he jumps out, and all of us, just get out, and we go in one more time. It was one of those nights still when we get together that they will go, do you remember that night? That was so much, like everything about it, it just, it was so much fun. And, and part of why it was fun was because of the stuff we were doing. I would tell you most of the reason why it was fun was because we had spent years together. We'd spent hours poring over each other's lives, hearing about girlfriends and tests. It was life on life that we'd shared. And it was just these fun, magical moments that that tied it all together in a way that we'll never forget for the rest of our lives. When was the last time you got invited to do something risky? I think these are part of the things that make life the most fun. And as we land the plane on the entire series that we've been in since April, April 24th is when we began our foray into the book of Matthew. This is our last week We're gonna get our last story today, and I think what you'll find as we dig into this story is there is this fun invitation, and it's risky. Kind of one of those things where you might end up going, I don't know if I want to eat that. I don't know if I want to get out of the car. I don't know if I want to go there, and it's awesome. We're gonna be in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. This is the last story. Now, Matthew is a master storyteller with everything we've been over over the last several months. You know that his ability to zoom in on a person and go, let me tell you about this woman who's bleeding. Let me tell you about this centurion whose kid is dying at home. Let me tell you my story. I was working at a tax collecting booth and one day this Jesus character comes through and just asks me to follow it. Like, he's, he's not a man of few words. He's taken 28 chapters. It's the longest of, of the gospels in many of the ways that he tells the stories. And now we get the last story. We have a Jesus who has been raised from the dead, dead man walking in the reverse sense of the term. This is amazing. This last story, I mean, he's got to a lot of explaining to do. What does this mean? What's he gonna tell us to do? Where's he gonna tell us to go? Who's he gonna be with? What's he gonna, how many conversations are you ready for this incredibly long story that's about to come? It's four verses long. Check this out. It goes like this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Period. End of story. To which you should be like, what? <laughs> like that's it is four. Br- that's awfully brief, Matthew. <laughs> like, what, there's not more that you want to share. What What happened after that? Where did Jesus go? Is did Jesus ascend into heaven? We hear that in some of the other gospels. Why, does, why is he being so brief here? To which I would say, after long theological study, his pen was running out of ink and he knew that. So he was just, oh, I just got to wrap this up tight. No, I, I, think, I think in order for us to understand why he's going to wrap it up so succinctly, it's just one more, it's just this final lovely gift from Matthew as a writer where he's going. Let me tell you one more story. It's a quick one. Also, it's the longest story that he's told in so many ways. Let's break it down piece by piece. If we go back through those verses, um, one of the fun things about this being such a short chunk. With a lot of the weeks that we've had, it's these big stories or these big chapters, and we've kind of had to do these big flyover, 30,000 foot, what's the big idea going on here? Because it's so short today, we can really break it down and go piece by piece by piece, almost like putting it under a microscope, and we get to just really savor every bite of what he's doing here. So, uh, we are going to start in verse verse 16, and he starts out, Matthew, by saying this, now the 11 disciples... There's, there's two things we should pause right there and just note. If you're writing a story, I think there's a sense here, if you're Matthew, of going, not everyone was there. Uh, Judas, Judas wasn't there. Judas, um, my friend, somebody I'd journeyed with for years, somebody had gotten to know, somebody I'd done ministry alongside, Judas had committed suicide. Judas is not in the picture of this. And I think for Matthew, there's a sense of like, he didn't just say the disciples, he's really clear to go. There's only 11 of us now, this sense of like, and it also cuts another way because we haven't had to uh, have the time really to address this, but in the book of Matthew, the character of Peter, especially towards the end is fascinating. If you're Jewish, if you're a student of a rabbi, you do not betray your rabbi. And for sure, Judas has done some messed up stuff, but if you're Jewish, you're looking at the character of Peter going, that fool denied Jesus three times. He's kicked out of being a disciple. He doesn't belong there anymore. There's no way Jesus would let him back in the fold. I think there's also a smile that Matthew's also involving here of going, it's all 11 of us that were left. Even Peter got invited back again it's a, it's a really cool nod. He's still letting them know where he stands with them. It's almost like he's saying, I'm, I, in, back in verse 10 of chapter 28, he called them all brothers. He's saying, look, you all betrayed me. You all ran the opposite direction. I still call you brothers, and I'm still inviting you to follow me. That's, that's a pretty remarkable thing. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Pause here for a second. Not Jerusalem? You would think like this resurrected Jesus, if if you've read Scripture, and you don't need to read Scripture to, to, to appreciate this, Scripture talks about Jerusalem. That's the holy city. That's where all the big things are supposed to happen. Jesus is resurrected. He died in Jerusalem. He resurrected in Jerusalem. But to talk to his disciples, the next conversation they're going to have, he's going to say, hey, meet me back home. Meet me where we all started all together. Go, go out to Galilee. And then I think just, just for fun, if you, if we, for the Bible nerds out there, there's a really fun goose hunt that you can go on to, to just wonder, which mountain was it that Jesus directed them to go to? There's some really cool hints that come all through the book of Matthew. There's only so many mountains that Jesus has been on. You can choose uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that location. Maybe he said, you know what, as we wrap things up, go back to the place where I gave kind of my magnum opus sermon. I want you to be in that location because I want you the smells and the sights, I want it to remind you of everything that I taught all that time ago because now that I'm resurrected, now that I'm alive again, now you're gonna see it and you're gonna get it in a way you never could have understood before. Maybe that's where he wanted them to go and that's what he wanted them to see maybe one of the other mountains that he wanted them to go to was the place where the Mount of transfiguration happened. This is a place that happened earlier in the book of Matthew, where Matthew went up on a a hillside with Peter, James, and John. And all of a sudden he just started glowing like bright white and Moses and Elijah just pop up. And, and all of a sudden this voice from heaven comes down and, and just lets the disciples, lets everybody know this is my son. This is his ministry. So maybe as we're getting now to the end of the book, Jesus is saying, hey, go back to that mountain because now it didn't make sense at the time what on earth was going on. I was glowing. It was weird. There were old dead guys walking around. Now you'll understand. Meet me back there because that's where we're going to get things started up again. Or maybe I think one of my favorites, uh, one of the mountains that pops up in the book of Matthew is at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, this is a place, if you were here for this sermon, this is where like some of the sickest, lost of the lost, crazy, crazy frat parties (laughs) happened in the world of that day. And back in the middle of the book of Matthew, Jesus had taken his disciples there and he looked out over this scene where all these crazy, wild, awful, immoral parties, like, and I'm not talking about let's go to CU Boulder and just witness one. This is like way different, total different level than that would make a, a frat boy blush type stuff. And Jesus said, it's right here that we're going to start the church. It was on a mountain, and, and Matthew was really clear. It's a mountain that Jesus was talking about when that happened. Maybe Jesus is saying, go back to that mountain. Because as we start the church, I want you to remember the first time we really started talking about it together. And I want you to remember who it is that we're going to start this church with. I don't know which mountain. Matthew doesn't tell us. All I know is that those are the mountains that have shown up so far, and each one of them has their own poetic beauty about it. I don't know which one. And maybe that's part of Matthew's point. Pick all three. What's your pick? And I love this next part. Some of of you today, this is exactly the verse that's for you. It says this, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, I think to, to pull out some of the beautiful things We know, because we've just read through this, Jesus is about to send these 11 folks out into the world, out to do ministry, out to start the church. So the first part of this sentence makes total sense. Their friend, who they saw crucified on a cross, who they've now seen raised up from the dead, the moment they see him, they go, they worship him. (laughs) Like This is next level stuff. You're God, this is amazing. It's that next line that just kind of gets you. But some doubted. This means that Jesus is going to send doubters out into the world. I think this is something that's really important for those of us that struggle with doubt, for those of us that think through the gospel, that think through scripture and think through God, and go, okay, some of, this, some of this I can buy into, some of this is really hard for me. Does that disqualify me? Does that count me out? I think in this passage, you have a Jesus who's going, no, man, get out there. Go get in the game. I'm calling you. Call called your number. Go. We're about to be commissioned. This is qualified only by the idea that they worship alongside their doubt. It's not doubt for doubt's sake. It's not deconstruction to the point of total destruction, but worship and doubt held in tension, which I think we can call Beautiful. And Jesus says, I can use that. If you're somebody who says, I'm skeptical, or I struggle and doubt, I can't get it all to line up, I just want it to be a Rubik's Cube where I get that last turn and it all makes sense, and then I'll go, then I'll participate, then I can jump in with both feet. I think the disciples would look at you and be like, hey, good luck with your Rubik's Cube, we're gonna go. <laughs> you don't have to have it all figured out to go on this thing. And now we're going to get in some real wild words of Jesus, because he says this. And then Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love this because I think if I were writing it, there would be something in me that would want to see Jesus declaring himself. I am the king. Like there's something powerful in that. There's something of our world that speaks to that. But I think the way that that Matthew's setting this up and the way that Jesus is doing this is he's going, look, I've been given this. I've been given this from the God of the universe, and it is mine. But this is not something that I fought for. This is not something that I've grabbed and will now rule with an iron fist. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so now I will use it. That's pretty cool. And it's not just all authority in heaven has been given to me. It's not just all authority in earth. In him, the two kingdoms are one kingdom again. There's not just a king of heaven and then kings of this world anymore. It's it's one united kingdom under one united king. I think so often in a world post-Plato, in the Western world, we live with this dichotomy of, well, things are separated. Earth, uh, you know, earth and heaven, uh, goodness and uh, evil, all these, like, and, and Jesus is going, no, all, like, I'm over all of it. All authority in both of these places is now gathered under my kingship. That's cool. The king has returned. If that's true, he has control over every single thing happening in all of the places. So rest, you can rest. The enemy cannot win if he has already been crowned the king. There is only one rightful king and he is now ruling above all as of this moment. Wow. Now we're gonna get into the part that, I think, becomes the longest story told in all of Scripture. It goes like this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. We're going to pause right there. Oh, you, I'm so, this is so just good. Because when you break it down step by step by step, you see this beautiful intentionality of Jesus. He says go, first off, this is a command. This isn't some optional thing that he's saying. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, when Jesus commands you to do something, it's very important that you pay attention and you do it. If you want to follow him, what he's about to say is part of the gig. He says go, he doesn't say stay, he doesn't say set up shop, he doesn't say let them come to you. He says go find people, go, get out of here. It's like, almost like he'd be looking at a church going, if all you do is look inside the walls of the church and all, you, all, we, all we do is what happens in here stays here. No, that's never been the point. He's always said, get out of this place. Go find people outside of this place. Church is far beyond the walls of this building. He's saying, go to the places where I went. Remember how many parables that he's told that included uh, kings or rulers going to the gutters, to the outcasts? Remember how many times Jesus himself would just go to people who uh, were just out there in the world? Jesus's entire ministry, he spent the last three years just walking around all over the place. He's saying, go. If you've been watching me, if you're a student of mine, if you want to be like me in every way, go. Matthew doesn't say preach. He doesn't say convert. I love this. This is so fun. He says, go make disciples. Now, if you're newer joining us, if you haven't been here throughout the series, this has popped up a couple times. But you need to know that, that uh, Jesus is a, is a Jewish rabbi And that's a really meaningful thing because the the, the rabbinical system, this was a way that people were taught. This was schooling for them. And so that people would come and they would sit with a rabbi, not because like in our our university system today where they go, I want to know what you know so that I can go do similar things. To sit under a rabbi meant I want to be like you in every single way. Some of you have heard me share this story before, but there are stories of rabbis who had a limp and they would limp around town and their 20 something year old students would be found limping right along beside them. You want to be like your rabbi in every single way. There are stories of rabbis in airports, even even in the world today, where they have to go to the bathroom so the rabbi goes into the bathroom and these other students just come walking in the bathroom because you wanna be like your rabbi in every way. To be a student of a rabbi, the title was disciple. And now Jesus is saying, go. And what are you supposed to do? You're not supposed to preach. You're not supposed to convert. You're supposed to make disciples. (laughs) In a way, Jesus is looking at these 11 guys going, I'm not going to give you like the capital R rabbi title, but we'll give you a lowercase r rabbi title. I, I want you to go be a rabbi. Go invite people to be just like you, as you are becoming just like me. That's a really relational thing. That's a really costly thing when it comes to time. That's a weird invitation that you would offer to somebody else. Hey, come be with me. Come watch my life. That's pretty wild. And that's different than just saying, hey, let me teach you some stuff. That's a key, key thing. Let's keep dissecting this go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This one may catch us uh, the strangest in our cultural context today because there's a lot packed in there that we might not see. To begin with, this is why our work with our global partners matters so much to us here at Discovery. We wanna be involved in what the church is doing, what's happening globally. But I think in this initial context, if you're Jewish, and you're being told to go out into all of the Roman world with the message of, you've got to hear about this guy, Jesus, he's the king of the world. You're being sent on like a suicide mission. This is in the reign of Caesar, one of whose titles was the son of God, ruler of the world. And now you're being commissioned to run out into the world and say, there's actually a different king. If you want to know about him, come follow me and live your life just like me. Who's gonna sign up for this thing on either end to teach or to follow? This is, this is a pretty radical thing that Jesus is inviting these guys to. How do we live in a tension in our world today where we look at the cost of what these initial folks, not just these disciples, but the people that would follow them and would follow them and would follow them the first about century of this? To choose to answer this call would mean you're gonna risk your life. Go ask people to follow you as you follow Jesus. It might cost you everything, violently. And I think in our world today, sometimes we worry that we don't have the time to volunteer or that we're not sure if we know enough things. These folks were giving up their lives by risking having a conversation. Wrap your head around that. Wow, so I think here Jesus is saying, I want you to be willing to risk everything, are you? (laughs) Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What do we say about baptism? This is this is incredible. We need a, a whole sermon series just on baptism. I, I hope that we'll get to that someday soon. But there's symbolism that happens in baptism. When Jesus says, go baptize Gentiles, go baptize people who are not Jesus, he's saying, I want you to, to continue to live out this story that we've been doing the whole time. Baptism in its earliest forms was really a replaying of several different things. It was a symbolism of Israel crossing the Red Sea on their way out of slavery from Egypt. It was the imagery of a baby being born again. It was this reflection of a bride cleansing herself before her wedding day. There's this metaphor of the spiritual washing of a body that you do before a holy act of service to God. So when Jesus says, baptize them, he's saying, go prepare the world for a wedding Go help people learn how to die to their old life so they can begin again in a new life of following Jesus, the one who authored life. Invite other people into a holy act of serving God. Go baptize the world. If you're interested in being baptized, if you've never been baptized before, just know this seems to be, at least to Matthew and for sure to Jesus, something that he's keen on, like, this is beautiful. It's not some like sacramental have to blow. This is like a participation in a beautiful, beautiful story that Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to this. If you want to know more about that, come talk to one of us up here on stage or, or out in the foyer after the service. Teach. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. It is funny because the tense of the participles going on, if we can nerd out for just a second, they don't indicate that people must be discipled before they're baptized or baptized before they're taught. It looks, like as, if, it looks as if Matthew perceives that baptism is occurring sometime in the mid- middle of the discipling and teaching process and that that process is something that he expects is continuing indefinitely. That's pretty cool. And if he's saying go teach people, he's saying help people begin on a journey, just like teaching anything or learning anything. We're not saying join a team, we're not saying convert. And he's also pointing out really clearly this is not a solo journey that you're inviting other folks to take on their own. It's more like a family road trip type of thing. We're supposed to join them, go. Make disciples, baptize them, join them on their journey. Nothing is said in the Commission about building the church, but its emphasis on Jesus' teachings clearly points in the direction of a community. A great many of the individual sayings in the Sermon on the Mount alone, as well as elsewhere in the gospel, have this particular relevance to community, togetherness. People are not to be converted to a philosophy, but to a unique way of living together in the way that Jesus taught. So when Jesus says teach, he's not envisioning a classroom. He's envisioning more like a a family dinner table. He's envisioning a lot of coffees and burritos and time spent walking around a park talking about marriage, talking about parenting, talking about struggles at work with bosses or people who are employees. It's life on life. That's what Jesus is talking about. And then we get the the finale. I mean, if there's a final firework show that Matthew wants to send up at the end of his final story, it's this one. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you and remember, and these are the words of Jesus, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The beginning of this story, Matthew was really clear to point out, hey, there's a baby coming. And when he's born, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And at the end of Matthew's story, you can just see him like riding like a wizard. At the end of the story, what's the name of this child who has been with us? The last words that he says are surely I am with you always. Ah, I love this. Jesus, the, the way also that it says it, he could have used an adverb in this. When you bust it down into the Greek, it's actually not as simple as the English has it here. He doesn't just say always. It's, it's an unusual way. Matthew had to go out of his way to say it the way that he did. It better translates all the days. And we may guess that the phrase there, all the days, is intended to remind us of the daily nature of his presence. It's not just some broad smear of, I'm with you always, but the way Matthew says it, it's more with the intonation of, I'm with you day by day by day by day. That's what Jesus wants you to know. And I just want to pause here. I think this is a lot of thick stuff. If you're somebody who's newer to church or newer to faith, you might be going, this is, this is a lot of words. This is a lot of things that Jesus is doing. What's, what's here for me? This is here for you. <laughs> I want you to note that this phrase stands alone. Jesus doesn't qualify this one, which is odd to me in some ways. If, if I were saying this with everything else I've said, go therefore, all the world, nations, baptize, teach, dwell, and if you do those things, or as you do those things, then I will be, he does not say that. He says, this is what I want you to do. Now one more thing, I will always be with you. And he's talking to a bunch of dudes who have worshiped and doubted, who have betrayed him, who have run the other direction so many different times. And as Matthew and as Jesus is ending this story, he's saying, unconditionally, I'm with you. If you're new to church, if you're checking out the claims of Christ, I hope that today there's a comfort in the the last sentence of this story. There's a sense of whatever you're wrestling with today, whatever you've brought in with you, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Jesus is with you day by day by day. No matter what you've done or what's been done to you, the last words of the book are unqualified. It's a statement of his identity, of who he is at his fundamental core. It's his name. He is closer than your own breath yesterday and today and tomorrow. There's a romance to it. As if the way that Matthew wants to end his story, but the way that he didn't have to work real hard. It's just, this is what Jesus says. He ends a story, this book that he's written, with the final sentence I love you and I'm with you and it's a forever type of thing to be continued. I think Matthew must have had a smile knowing that he was going to finish with that line. So, the book of Matthew, four verses to sum up the final things. What else happened? What did Jesus do after this? If you're one of the original readers, I mean, I'm sure you're like flipping over the next page, going, "Where's the rest of it? <laughs> like, then what? Now what happens?" And I think Matthew has buried right into the middle of this. Well, I-, I told you what happens next. The end of the book of Matthew is the biggest story ever told, because he really ends not with a the end. He intentionally ends with a to-be-continued and not with a to-be-continued like we would read in a book today where you go, okay, great. When's the next book coming out? When does the next episode drop? When does the next series come out next season? I'm waiting to consume more. The way the book of Matthew ends is to-be-continued by you. The greatest story ever told, the longest story told in Scripture is leaping off the pages in four verses, Matthew is ripping out a baton from the text and he's handing it to you to say, Who else will be healed next? Who else will be told the story to next? And for his original readers, I think there was this gulp that would happen in them of, Man, I, just, I, I wish I hadn't read that last, those last four verses because now I, I'm responsible for something. I'm now involved in this story. I now have to choose. I'm either in or I'm not. And I think if we're paying attention today, that same confrontation is now in front of you. Are you in on this story? Who's gonna be given a home next? Who's gonna be set free next? Who's gonna be told the truth next? Who will be comforted next? What place where marginalized people are actively being hurt and oppressed will you go to next? Where? I love as we consider this now, that we remember who's writing the story. Matthew, I think if we could take him, I'm sure if he was hand delivering this letter, this book to you or I, I think he would say with a twinkle in his eye, you know, I was once a tax collector and Jesus called me and then he healed me. Then I betrayed him. Then he called me a brother and then he gave me a job. So here I am doing it and I'm inviting you to do the same. This is so exciting, and I think there are at least two kinds of people in the room right now, and each kind of person has some options. The first kind, again, if you're somebody who's new, if you're just checking things out, you might be sitting there thinking, man, I really wish somebody would just sit down with me, maybe take me to coffee every other week, and just explain how all this works, then I hope I have good news for you. I'd love to meet you after the service and help connect you to the right folks because we've got a lot of folks that come and they sit in this building every single week and they love Jesus. And they are compelled by the story and by obedience to love you and to sit with you and to buy you that coffee and to say, where do you want to begin? And it's relational. It won't just be, here's a book, go read it. See you next time. It will be a, hey, let's sit down and let's talk about these things together. That's what Jesus has talked about. If that's what you're looking for, come chat with one of us after the service today. Or you can just keep at a little bit of a distance, which is fine, and keep coming back just to check it out. And until the water's safe enough where you go, okay, I'm willing to sit down with somebody and really listen to this, you can wait. The second group of people There are some of us in this room that call ourselves followers of Jesus. And you also have some options. You can be like a lot of Christians out there who seem to get to this point of the book. They've fallen in love with the story. They've fallen in love with Jesus. And they forget to read, or I think probably what's more appropriate, they forget to obey the last four verses. You can be like that. You can consider it this command from the king. You can consider it an optional thing. You can opt out of the whole story. And I think if you choose to live that way, you are taking a massive gamble. Not a salvation gamble, but a gamble of joy. A loss of something beautiful that's waiting for you. This is a gift wrapped present from the one who authored life and creativity into the world. He's saying, Look, you want life to the full? Go be with people, go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. If you choose not to do that, you are saying no to this sweet gift. Or you can lean in. And at the crucial climax of what Matthew is doing, you can continue to learn and obey what Jesus, obey what Jesus is inviting you into. Who do you disciple? Who in your life do you spend time with intentionally loving? Going out of your way to buy a coffee and to hear about your life, their life. Who do you pray for every day, whether they know Jesus or not? Who are the people that you look to uh, that look at you and say, they love me on purpose? that other people would say, I- I'm going to follow them as they follow Jesus. Who is that in your world? If you've been a Christian for a long time, but have never really considered the importance of these last four verses, today is a day of remarkable life change in your own journey as a student of Christ. Today, you are invited not to simply be a student, but to be a teacher student. And it's important. Disciple students of a rabbi would do everything they saw their teacher doing. They didn't just want to know what they knew. They would do it just like their rabbi. And Jesus is saying, go, invite people to become like you as you continue to become like me. This is what the church is. It's not this service you're sitting in now. It's not this building that we're sitting in now. The church at its core is a group of people dedicated to following Jesus and taking seriously even this command to invite others to come and follow them as they follow Jesus. It's relational and it's missional and it's us. A great theologian, Robert Coleman, put it like this, Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism, nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers to do this job. Building men and women is not that easy. It requires constant personal attention, much like a father gives to his children. This is something that no organization or class can ever do. Children are not raised by proxy The example of Jesus would teach us that it can be done only by persons staying close to those whom they seek to lead. Do you do this? You're invited. And if you don't know where to begin, gosh, do I have some options. We need help right here in the walls of the church. We've got teenagers, we've got kids, we've got adults, we've got all kinds of people who need to be loved and invited in a relational style of discipleship. We have local partners outside the walls. They have needs, big needs, and many of them look to us for help. It is one of the most heart-wrenching things to have to turn them away empty-handed when they say, do you have someone who will come love our incarcerated teenagers? How about about our middle school kids? We have special needs families or, or some children who have terminal illnesses. We just need someone to come love on them. Do you know anyone who can tutor third graders? Jesus knew that the needs of the world were great that's why he sent you so don't shy away from the call to get involved with people it's the invitation of jesus i'm going to bring out the band with just one final thought the season of advent technically begins next week it's a time where we prepare for the coming of jesus advent is the latin word that means the coming It's not only a celebration of the coming of his birth, but it's a way that we look ahead to his second coming the next time he comes back. In the irony of him being with us is a deep mystery. He promises he is with us and also that he's coming back. So as we head into Advent, know that that the end of Matthew would not sloppily ask you, invite a friend to Christmas this year, although he wouldn't object to that. Matthew would say, if you want to prepare for the coming of Jesus, if you want to celebrate Christmas, if you want to celebrate all that is yet to come in human history, if you've understood anything about this book that you've now read, if you've paid attention to who Jesus is, this God-man, this chosen savior of the world, go into the world to all you meet. Invite them to join you on the journey. Don't just tell them things. Don't just give them information. Don't just set up programs and organizations. Don't just ask people to give money to stuff. Do what Jesus did. Give them your
1: life. Give them relationship.
0: Invite them into into the journey that you're on and be willing to go with them on theirs. And as I finish for today, I would like to end with a prayer that's really just a benediction over all of us. You can bow your heads, or if you'd rather follow it along on the screen, I put it there as well. As the Father sent Jesus to empty himself
1: and take on the form of a servant, you are now being sent. As the Father sent Jesus to meet people on their own turf, to love them in their own world and to speak about God's love in their own language, you are now being sent As the father sent Jesus to be the visible expression of the invisible God, so now you are being sent. As the father sent Jesus to seek and save the lost, so you now are being sent. As the father sent Jesus to love the poor and the broken and the marginalized, so now you are being sent. And friend, don't you ever forget he's with you every day, all the time, step by step. May that thought comfort you through the darkest days and the most violent storms. And may you not forget when the days are bright and your belly is full.